In this episode of the Iron Sights Podcast, my guest is Dr. David Skolnick. I've actually sat down with David before, going all the way back to episode 14 a few years ago when we started the Iron Sights Podcast. He's come a long way, just like we have. We get into all kinds of things. He is a doctor of physical therapy who's also a coach, who's also a competitive powerlifter and athlete. I really like David's insight to the world of physical therapy. Due to his insights and basically his experience through the turnstile model of you know corporate commercial physical therapy, all the way to private practice where it's cash only, it's not just about PT. There's a lot of things we cover. What it's like to be involved in that as maybe a doctor, as a consumer or patient, and what maybe should a aspiring physical therapist be thinking about as they're getting into uh, this line of work. Goes beyond that, we get into fitness, we get into culture, and we get into how to build a bigger, better, stronger, faster body. Please enjoy this episode with Dr. David Skolnick. Just in case you forgot, all these episodes are brought to you by Red Dot Fitness training products and programs. You can find out more about those by going to rdftrainonline.com. If you're looking to build strength, muscle, athletic performance, look better, feel better, and just live better, check out rdftrainonline.com. All kinds of products and services available to you there. If having a well-rounded fitness program is important for you, maybe check out RDF Strong. RDF Strong is our most popular muscle building and strength training program. So when you get to rdftrainonline.com, check out RDF Strong. Use code STRONG20 for 20% off. That's code STRONG20 for 20% off. Welcome to Iron Sights. This podcast candidly seeks to create opportunities and deliver impact by sharing the experiences and wisdom of successful entrepreneurs and thought leaders who unapologetically aim to win in health, fitness, business, and life. I'm your host, Scott Howell. Welcome to Old School Meets New School. Tradition meets innovation and imperfection meets excellence. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Let's just get going. Okay. Let's, let's just go. do this. Let's do it. <laughs> We're back in the Iron Sights podcast studio. This is the second time I've had this dude in. Dr. David Skolink, welcome to California and welcome to the Iron Sights podcast yet again. Yeah, thank you. First time in this studio. Yeah, we did Scottsdale, like a random. I don't remember how who introduced us. Someone told because like I didn't know who you were. You definitely didn't know who I was. I, Okay, so I'm going back. I actually think this was just like a cold call. Like I saw you doing your thing, and like reached, a social media reached, cold call. It's a social media thing. Boom! That's the power of social media. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and yeah, we had rented a studio out there in in Arizona. Yeah, I feel like it was, it was maybe it's Phoenix, even maybe it was Scottsdale. I don't even remember. But the number episode was episode number fourteen. Yeah, and you came out to record like a slew of episodes. And yeah. we're over, we're over like 200 episodes now. So that's, that's quite some time. It was like the was mid 2021, right after we'd gotten, gotten, kind of gotten started. And it was, you know, we kind of gotten your, your story at that point, your background and man, it's a lot of things have, have happened for you and for us, but for you specifically, since I had you on, that was a really great episode for me because we covered and touched on many topics. One was just kind of fitness in general, which was the whole idea. You are a physical therapist by trade. That is the the doctor or DPT and the and the acronyms that you know you'll find by your name. Uh, so we got into that, which was you have a very interesting take um, that I find very refreshing that I want to revisit today. And then we also talked a little bit about like mental and emotional health, yes. which has become a really large part of our show. And um, and you 
you you stepped into that uh, very willingly and almost unexpectedly for me on that on that episode, which opened up the doors to do a lot of things and maybe and helped me think about things a lot differently in terms of how we handle the show. So that's my um, that's my brief intro on you. Um, I'm stoked to have you back. Let's talk about you. Um, how about the brief like Reader's Digest version? for those people that never listened to episode 14 yeah. and they had no idea who we were. Perfect. Yeah. So again, my name is David. I am a doctor of physical therapy. I've been in practice now for almost nine years. Went to school up in the Tacoma area, Portland native, live in Arizona now, like East Valley outside of Phoenix. Um, I've done a lot of different sorts of <clears throat> stuff inside the PT industry. I've worked in geriatrics and did a little bit of home health since we talked, which was terrible. And we worked in orthopedics. Yeah, gotcha. And uh, and now I work uh, in a out-of-network, cash-only, performance-oriented clinic housed inside of a CrossFit gym, um, seeing a, a population that I love. It's, it's very cool. It's like I only see 18 patients a week. And I can honestly say, like, I don't have any patients who I dread them coming in. Which is, I Sounds think, like very, the dream for a yeah, physical therapist. Totally. Man. Only took nine years. Only took nine years and a bunch of different jobs and leadership stuff and all kinds of stuff. And then outside of that, I've been working in the fitness industry since 2017. So PT since 2015, um, fitness coaching since 2017, have a background in exercise science. That was my undergraduate degree. So I've worked with uh, like created small group fitness offers and worked with people one-on-one and coach triathletes and I compete in powerlifting. So I've been coaching powerlifting since 2019 and I run a, a powerlifting club team out of Arizona called the Southwest Strength Club, which is a collaboration with another awesome gym owner out there. So we show up at local meets with like eight to 10 lifters and it's great. We, we call ourselves like the friendliest powerlifting team in Arizona. I believe it. Um, so that's super cool. And I'm an educator and excessively entrepreneurial to my own <laughs> fault sometimes and a new dad and all kinds of stuff. Man, <laughs> just peppered that, right? I just, yeah. Oh, and by the way, uh, I have like an yeah, eight month an old, eight month old. old. Yeah. <laughs> and an insane dog. Yeah. I love the, um, I mean, I think there's a lot of people listening to the show that can totally relate to everything you just said. Like, okay, dude's moving and shaking. Uh, Sounds like me. Like people talk about having busy schedules. Maybe here's a dude that, that understands the grind. Uh, and then there's other folks that are, that are listening and going like, dude, like this is just another one of those dudes that just never, he's a wind up doll, right? You know, <laughs> you know, it's the energizer bunny. Um, but I can totally relate to that. And that's why I'm so excited to have you in the studio again today to sort of talk about things and catch up because what you just described, like I said, kind of to open is much different than where you were when we sat down just a couple Very of years much. ago. Yeah. Um, and I'm anxious to hear about that journey because we really haven't had this kind of a conversation since. Um, Couple things though, just to to give people perspective, because you're the first you're the first physical therapist I've had. I think you might have been the last physical therapist I had, and and I apologize. There's been a lot of episodes. I've had a few, so but um, you're, you're the last one I've had, and you, your perspective because you, and you just walk through it, and that uh, you know since 2015 and, and getting into it has afforded you a lot of a lot of experiences challenges, successes and failures that unless you stay in the game that long, you, you don't get. And I talk to a lot of folks that are like early in the process. And I know a lot of guys like you that have been very successful. And I also know a lot of guys like you, when I say you that have the same, uh, you know, distinction, 
terms of being a doctor of physical therapy and are fucking miserable. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, starts going back to my conversation with people earlier in the game, early in the game that are very disillusioned about what the job is. And they got into it based on maybe a personal experience that, you know, where they were healed, mm-hmm. you know, or helped. And they remember that as being positive or whatever, but they weren't really paying attention maybe to all the other things that were going on around they them. Didn't know what to look for. They didn't know what to look for. Can we just talk about that for yeah. a little bit? Just like the the perception of what physical therapy is. And I mean that like, not just from the aspiring physical therapist, but also from, from just, you know, society, you know, as a general, particularly today in today's society and where physical therapy fits into the, the modern healthcare model. And then maybe you can even touch on like how you work with other allied professionals now differently than maybe where you started or how a lot of people think about it. Can you just there's a lot there, dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I really love your take on it. So maybe we just go down that road. Okay. So yeah, multiple things to talk about. Let's talk about, I think, why PTs are miserable first. Um, I definitely think there is a significant disconnect between sort of the picture that's painted during school and the enthusiasm that's created during PT school. And then the reality of who you actually work with on a day-to-day basis. Um I think a great way I heard it put was talking about personal training. And I bring this up every time I teach is like, if you became a physical therapist, it's because you're interested in physical therapy. And then I think it's a hard pill to swallow when you realize most of your patients don't want to be there, mm-hmm. right? They don't want to do the work at home. They hurt. Like they're only there because the doctor told them they had to. They're only there because the insurance said you got to do this for four weeks before we'll even approve an MRI. And so they, they, they don't want to, you know, they're driving half an hour twice a week to see you for 15 minutes and then work with a high school kid for 45, which is a, another part of, I think, why PTs are burnt out because they can't help people at the level they want to because they can't make enough money. But there's all this stuff. But I think it starts with this idea that, that I heard in relation to personal trainers, which was if you became a personal trainer, it's probably because you love going to the gym. For most of your clients, they're not personal that. trainers. Hey. They would be personal trainers that they love. They're in the gym because they're fat, sick, out of shape. Their spouse told them they're not physically attractive anymore. They hurt. They have no energy. Real out realities. Something needs to change. And realities. that's even more with physical therapy. Their doctor had to tell them to go. Their wife had to nag them for a year to go get their knee figured out. Or the pain has just gotten to a point where it's telling them they have to go. Right. They have to go. And so I think we come out of school super excited. The analogy ends with like, People going to the gym is like fitness professionals going to the dentist. Like if someone told you you had to go to the dentist twice a week, every week for a year to get results, you'd be like, this is horrible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what we're asking our patients and clients to do is come in and see us twice a week, kind of forever. That's a a harsh compare and contrast. It's a really hard sell. Like health is a really hard sell. So, you know, you go through school and it's, there's a lot of research and a lot of evidence to support what we do. So there's a lot of enthusiasm with like, I'm going to be able to fix people and help people. And this is super powerful. And all the evidence says, you know, PT is better than surgery for back pain and shoulder pain. And then you go see real people, um, you know, and it's, they're not 20 year old college sophomores with nothing else to do, but the program that the professor told them to for the research project. And they've got kids and lives and it's not just back pain, it's back pain, knee pain, shoulder pain, and a chronically sprained ankle and all of a sudden you realize that and you got three people an hour yeah and so i think the burnout rate unfortunately in pt is really high because 
it's an extremely fulfilling profession if you get to do it the way you want. But I think it's become harder and harder to do it the way we want um, because we're sort of, unfortunately, sliding in the same direction as I'm sure like the way primary care physicians feel. Like I can't imagine a primary care physician thinks they provide good care when they see people for an average of seven minutes. Like there's no way. And we're going there. I have someone who I've talked with a lot on Instagram recently. I think she's two years out of school and she posted her schedule yesterday and her five o'clock was four people. She had four people at five o'clock and three people at four o'clock and three people at three o'clock with no PT assistant and no aid. So it was her one on four. And one of them was like chronic pain. One of them was ACL. You're like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. So just time out there because people are like, oh, well, then you should just adjust your model. Right. But why is this having to happen? And, and some people probably understand this sort of at a, at a higher level. But can you walk through like yeah. what are the mechanics there that make that like necessary for, right. in order to continue the, 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 the business and the care? So on one <laughs> side, I think part of it is our education system. We've gone, I think, in the last. 40 years from being an undergraduate degree to a doctorate program. Mm -hmm. So there is an exponential amount of debt that's increased over the last 40 years. I took a course. There was a guy who'd been a PT. He was in his sixties. Someone in their twenties was like two years out, asked him how much he paid to go to PT school, $6,000 tuition, room and board (laughs) four years. Like that's not even books. I I, I pay more than that rent here (laughs) a month. Yes. That's, that's not even books. That's not even one quarter of one semester of what I did. Mm. So the demand, right? I'm a, I have a doctorate level degree. I need to be compensated at a certain level. And I've got these student loans that again, demand a compensation level so that I can hope to even keep up with the interest. Um, and on the opposite side, we, I think professionally have somehow done a very bad job of showing our value. Um, to the community and also to insurance providers because every couple of years reimbursement rate for insurance-based physical therapy goes down. So the amount of money the insurance company will pay us per visit goes down. So if our business model is 100% based on patients in the door creating the revenue, then the only option is to see more, more patients. patients and you're not going to get someone to work 12 hours a you day. You only have X amount of hours. So you got to have three patients an hour. And I think that's why, unfortunately, the trend is going to like 18 to 24 patients a day um, as kind of standard in outpatient care. It's like booking on the half an hour, if not double booking on the half an hour. It's interesting you start with the educational system, right? And just, and how that relates to, again, the debt that's accrued. Yeah. Uh, And at the same time, the devaluing of the education that the person has uh, by... The industry, I hear you, like the the folks with industry, industry somehow, but that's compounded because it's connected to the medical industry, which is connected to a pharmaceutical industry, which is connected to an insurance industry, uh, which is connected to a chronically ill, sick, fat, you know, out of shape, injured uh, society, you know, that, that we're living in. And so the demand just keeps going up. And there's always somebody that's willing to do it and will mm-hmm. work those extra hours for at least as long as they can before they burn out and move to right. the next thing. So it's it, that that lowest common denominator piece kind of sneaks in there with that that 
turn and burn clinic, you know? Yeah. We call it like a PT mill. Yeah. It's like the place where the new hires go to cut their teeth for a year and then they leave. Um, so the care is just not going to be great. Their mentorship's not great because they're the guy who's supposed to mentor them is seeing three patients an hour and doing the numbers for three other clinics because, you know, they got a regional director position to make ends meet. So, yeah. Have you read Peter Atiyah's new book? I haven't Outlive? read the new one. No, no. I so love he, Peter Atiyah though. He's one so of So the fans. whole idea of like medicine 3.0 is his, like that's the hill he's going to die on, which I think is great. It's the idea of like, Medicine 2.0, you wait for things to go wrong. You wait until people are sick. You wait until they have a specific diagnosis and then you try and treat it, which is fine if you can treat it with antibiotics, right? But you can't like just, you don't give someone a Z-pack for cancer and like 10 days later, they don't have cancer anymore. So he talks a lot about like the four horsemen of metabolic disease and cardiovascular disease and things like this that we have to start working to prevent them. And I think I'm a huge fan of that concept. I honestly think like physical therapists may have the most to gain from that perspective. How so? So I think a lot of the newer PTs coming out are more, a lot more exercise oriented. Like they want to be. That's good news. It's great. It's good news. Cause that has not been the case. It's great, but exercise is much better at preventing things than treating things. Mm-hmm. So we're exercise oriented and we learn therapeutic exercise, which is like, how do I give you the three things to help strengthen the rotator cuff tendon that's strained? And then we don't know what else to do. Right. But I think a lot of newer PTs are way more into this. Like we need a barbell in the clinic. We need a landmine set up. We need blood flow restriction. We need plate weight. We need kettlebells, which is great, but it's late to the game. And the patients that a a normal primary care physician is going to refer can't handle any of that anyway. Mm. Um, But I think if we can, start to help people understand. I mean, my shirt says it like movement is medicine. So that it's preventative medicine. Like you start training at 30 so that when you're 70, you don't have to move into assisted living, Mm -hmm. but insurance isn't going to pay for that unless somehow the whole industry shifts to this, like, Oh, we will pay for prevention, which I don't see. It's it's not an industry shift. Like it, this has to be a a cultural shift, like a mindset shift from the, from, from people. They have to be scared of being in, there's going to have to be a pain point of them being in the, the home at 70 years old and realizing that's reality for them. And then, and and doing it in enough time to, you're never going to outrun, you know, the age, right? Like, but you can, you can at least try and stave it off, you know, kind of for as long as you can. And unfortunately that goes against like the whole thought process of a physical therapist. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It was like, don't tell anyone what's going to happen. Like you have to have evidence. You have to have a study that showed it did happen. Yes. So it's like, I can't tell someone, you know, if you don't start walking more, yeah. right, your muscles, you're going to get sarcopenia. Eventually you're going to fall and you're going to break your femur. And if you had just walked and done some squats, you would that wouldn't have happened. And you could have stayed in your house 40 years from now. Like, I can't prove that. But like, that's the conversation we have to have. That doctors are allowed to tell people, if you smoke, you're going to get lung cancer. Like, why can't I tell someone if you don't exercise, like you're going to get metabolic syndrome. That's a really good point. That is a very good point. And uh, going back to PT the- PT social media will smash you for that though. Is that right? Yeah. Talk about evidence-based. Talk, talk about that. There's a lot of infighting in like social media around physical therapy. Like you Weird. Know, evidence-based <laughs> provider. And it's like, where's the, there's always, the, like Justin and I, PPSC, we joke. Like there's always going to be someone in the comments who's like, show me the study. Show me the study, bro. Like, yeah. No, <laughs> it doesn't exist. Like, I love this. But just use your common sense. So I, I think there's a fear around- like a little bit of shaming from our 
cohort around stuff like this. This idea of like, we call it nocebo language in the physical therapy industry. It's this, you're telling someone if they don't do something, something will go wrong. Mm. That sort of idea um, versus placebo, right? You take this, this will happen. It's more like if you don't do this, this will happen. Mm. And it's like, unless you have a study, like you can't say that, but like we know it's again, the Peter Atia thing. Like, why can't we monitor someone's blood glucose before they're diabetic so we can tell them how to change their diet before they need metformin? Yeah. It's like, why? It, of course. It should be instinctual, right? At some level. I think somebody used this, uh, some of my Arizona buddies, Chris Palmer actually used this analogy the other day. Like a deer doesn't fucking stick around to see what the noise in the woods was. Like yeah. as soon as they have a sense that there's something's up here, they're like, they get the hell out of there and fast. Like, Course correction change and they, they do it at a really fast pace. It's just, we're out. Mm-hmm. So it's like an instinct. It's like people lost the instinct to know or see the future, which is wild because it's right there in front of you. Yeah. Kind of what, no matter where you look now, like just go to the physical therapist's office for your physical therapy appointment, you know, or go, <laughs> go to the doctor's office for your doctor's or, or God forbid you have to go to the hospital. It's the most depressing place on the face of the earth outside of the animal shelter. You know, I feel yeah. worse for the animals than I do for the people, right? <laughs> uh, but th- my point of that is, is like, it's, it is a, it is so sad and sickening and maddening to kind of imagine that somebody would just not take care of themselves or not be proactive at all uh, about <clears throat> with, with, with regard to what you're saying, which is like, this just makes good common sense, dude. Like, you need to you need to do better, and I'm not I'm not shaming you for this, but you got to do better because you're going to die. Yeah, like you, you are literally. There are plenty of studies that say, you know, if you you know don't get X amount of sleep, we just know like you're gonna you're, you're gonna find the life. grave you're gonna find the grave much sooner if you get cardio if you get cardiovascular disease. Do the math. Like at this point, do the math. If you get diabetes, do the math. Like if you get uh, arterial or atherosclerosis. Do the math. Like the, the this is if you're not mobile, just go out, go to Disneyland, go like, look at what's walking around there, or yeah. not walking around there, scooting around in a cart. You if know, if you can't stand on one foot for ten seconds in older age, your chances of dying within the next ten years doubles. Yeah, it's the, so, and that basic. I mean, those are basic statistics, right? But I don't know what's the study that proves you know that that's going to happen to me. Yeah. I wasn't in that study. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's really hard, man. It's, it's, uh, to tie this all back together, you know, we don't, I think, I think a lot of people have the conversation, you know, like I wish there was like basic personal finance in high school. Mm-hmm. Like I wish there was cooking class in high school. I wish there was a, you know, how does taxes work? How do you change high a tire school? How do you car, change yeah. it? Sure. Um, but in physical therapy school, we don't get, how do we, sort of sell physical therapy <clears throat> and um, it's the hardest thing to sell. Like health and fitness is the hardest thing to sell. I think it's like the business studies, you know, the things that predict a successful business are, is it fast, painless, and easy? And you're like, I'm asking you to do something that hurts multiple times a week for the rest of your life. Mm. And it's objectively hard. That's the point. If it's not hard, it's not working. And you think somebody else should be paying for it because, and, you, and, and yeah. yeah. And, and at the clinic, it's like I, it's the clinic I work me. at, it's, it's over $200 an hour to work with me now. So now. yeah. So let's talk about that. So, so 
Chris talked about the industry and perception, but also realities of what physical therapists are, are dealing with and those and how a person kind of enters in my experience with that and going, I'm not sure you know what you're getting yourself into. You might want to go do some internships first, go do some observation hours before you decide to commit all that money, time and energy to, yeah. you know, this education or whatever. And then on the flip side with the person going, why don't you just take a, take a look around, think about things a little bit harder and you should be doing some work now so you don't come see me. Mm-hmm. And maybe you should come see me for a little while so that you won't want, you don't have to come see me later, you know, kind of thing. Um, but if you, if we walk through like your experiences through that journey yourself to finally get to where you are, where somebody's paying you $200 cash, and they're they're booking appointments out weeks in advance because they need and they they value you that much and want to make sure they get in right. to see you. What did that look like for you, kind of in a nutshell? Um, I mean, were you one of those guys that came out? I can't remember that the story. Like, did you come out and have to go work at one of those mills? That was for, my first job. Yeah. yeah, I think that was that was part of the ingredient of what took me down the super dark hole of like clinical anxiety for the first time and clinical depression for the first time and suicide attempts for the, you know, the first and luckily only time in my life was within a year of graduating PT school, like almost exactly a year of graduating PT school. So it was not a smooth transition at all. Um, but I think what got me to where I'm at today, uh, it's so convoluted. Like, I don't know that any, this isn't like meant to toot my own horn. Like, I don't know that I would want anyone to replicate the path I took. Like I took the pain-free performance certification, which I now teach in January or February of 2021. So it's very much like a fitness facing course. Like it's mostly personal trainers, 90% of people in the room. I was a physical therapist working in skilled nursing (laughs) and home health. Like, and that's that's not what I wanted to sounds miserable. It's where I felt comfortable. I know people need to do this. I'm sorry. Yeah. Those that do, I just, I just listened to you. I know you and I, I don't know how you, yeah, it's what you just described. It wasn't good. No, but it's, it's simple treatment for complex patients. So the thing that part of the reason why I went there is kind of getting back to work literally after the the depression was I needed something where I felt confident pretty quickly mm. and like I can get someone out of bed. Right. And I can hold onto a gate belt and show them how to fit the walker and like motivate them okay. to take a few steps and all this sort of stuff. Okay. But I was doing that while learning about training, while working with a couple clients in person, which then became in-person plus online sort of hybrid stuff and starting a business while I was managing a clinic and then moving to Arizona and still being scared, to be completely honest, of going back into orthopedics because the last time I was in orthopedics, I literally tried to kill myself. So I eventually found a job that still had this team element of like it was when we met, I was yep. working at a clinic with chiropractors, a medical, a PA, massage. So patient care was not all on me. I did that for a year, realized I could help patients. And then I went back to a more traditional orthopedic position. I worked with my wife at a, as about as good as you're possibly going to get for an insurance-based clinic. A small company that treats their therapists right, that pays them very competitively, that doesn't see more than two people per hour. Um, that has awesome support staff, that has a scribe to help you with notes. Oh, like, wow. Fantastic. Been That's in the huge. community for 20 years. Like people just come back because they love the feel of, it's called more physical therapy in Mesa. But then I realized, you know, as I'm working here, but I'm training in a powerlifting gym and people in the gym know what I do. So like, can I work with you? And it's like, 
yeah, you can like, let me try and work with you in the gym though. Cause I don't, we don't have the stuff at yep. the clinic. Yep. I can't assess your squat cause we don't have a bar. Mm-hmm. Like I need to do that here. Um, and it's this much money. Like I'm just going to make up a price yep. <laughs> at that point. Often and it's like, it's coaching, but I'm going to use my PT brain. Like I probably won't put my hands on you and manipulate anything. Cause I don't have a mm-hmm. business license in this gym. Um, and then having a few people come and work with me at more. And again, realizing like, I mean, they knew they're like, I don't feel like I belong here. Like you're very different than everyone else in this clinic. And then having an opportunity, I, I had almost started my own cash-based practice like a year prior. Um, and then this opportunity at Polaris where I work now, it just sort of popped up. Like it popped up on social media. Um, someone I knew reposted that, that Brig at Polaris was looking for a PT. Okay. And I messaged him. I was like, I'm not really looking. I'm just, I've been really intrigued by the idea of cash-based PT for a while. Um, we didn't know each other before, but we had so many connections to the same people in the same corner of Phoenix suburb. Mm-hmm. You know, he had a squat rack and a trap bar and a landmine and the like, stuff. He yeah. had all the stuff. He had blood flow restriction cuffs. He was working with CrossFit athletes. He knew people in the powerlifting community. I was like, they'll come see me. Um, I was like, I know Dr. Stone. Like I've got mm-hmm. these referral networks. And part of the reason people weren't coming was part of it was location. And part of it was just like the fit of the clinic. I was like, yeah, you're not quite the right person for where I work right now. Um, so I'd sort of, I mean, the biggest thing for a newer physical therapist is like, you got to have some sort of a niche. Like everyone talks about it, but you got to be like arguably the best person in the area at one or two specific populations to get people to pay you. Um, and they need to kind of know that you're the best and you need to confidently sell. Like, I honestly believe I'm the best physical therapist for a power lifter, at least in like the East Valley of Phoenix, if not the whole I think it's being city. humble, but I got you. Yeah. yeah. So, because I understand what they go through, right? And I can get someone back to squatting. I just had a patient last week. He came in with a groin thing, hour treatment. And then that night he squatted 600 pounds for eight reps. Like most PTs are going to be like, do not yeah, that's, ever in your life consider squatting 600 pounds for eight. What do you, what is wrong with you? It's also something to not be able to consider that when you don't, when you've never exercised like that before in your life. Yeah. Like there's an understanding of exercise. There's actually the application of it and, and actually knowing what, yeah. the, to your point, like so what it feels like. I think it was, it's a long winded way of me sort of not being excessively tied to any one job. Um, saying yes to different things, um, jumping into the education world, like starting to travel and teach coaches and even starting to like teach physical therapists. And I built up a lot of self-confidence and I also built up, um, like a really deep understanding of a specific population. And I think that is extremely vital for cash-based practices. You got there got there's gotta be a reason for people to not use their insurance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have to feel, feel compelled mm-hmm. and, and, They'll want to, they'll want to try. And I'm sure there's probably like, you know, they can try and submit for the things that they're paying because you are, 100%. you are, yeah, yeah. but we that's on super them. bills and yeah. you're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not doing that for them. Yeah. 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 It takes that time. So that's the other piece of this is how much less administrative time and bullshit do you have to put up with because you just don't deal with insurance yeah. companies. We don't need a insurance specialist. <laughs> we don't need a billing specialist. <laughs> like we need an admin and we need therapists. Right people to actually do the work. Mm-hmm. Like, and what I mean by that, it's like the important work, the patient care, the patient care. Yeah. Yeah. But then we have to go market. The marketing is totally different. Like 
Yeah. You don't just it's a find your corner. You know, you don't find your office with eight primary care physicians and they send, and even that's starting to, dis- to disappear. So the company I used to work for more, they're trying to deal with is now, I think is those mom and pop PT clinics are selling to large organizations or even just like large venture capital firms, right. That own a thousand PT clinics under 10 different names, mm-hmm. but um, small mom and pop primary care clinics are doing the same thing. So like your 20 year relationship with Dr. Brown down the street and his PA could just, once he sells his clinic, like their marketing departments in Omaha, wow. like they're just going to Google your zip code and they're going to spit you out the three clinics that are closest to your house yeah. and be like, well, we've had 20 years of success with more physical therapy. This is where I send all my, that's gone. Wow. So the whole marketing landscape, I think is very much changing. Uh, it's, it, it, you, man. It always does. I mean, in fitness, you know, we see it happening all the time too. It just, it changes period. Like the, you know, obviously industry specific, that's a different animal. Uh, interesting to think that, you know, especially if you're working with three, three clients per hour, Yeah. you know, you know, eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours a day, like there's no time to market, you know, and how do you get paid? You got to spend all the other time making sure the bills go get paid and you know, the paperwork gets filled out and everything else. It seems like a losing proposition. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely, so I mean, I've started, we have a new course through PPSE. It's called Rehab Stronger. So now I'm traveling and teaching specifically physical therapists. And I'm trying to lean into that more um, with my own like online coaching business and what I'm doing on social media. Like I'm trying to talk very much more like very specifically to PTs. Mm-hmm. Um, because not only, unfortunately, do we not have time to market in the scenario that you're talking about. So you got to hire a marketing person. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I think this is another part of the burnout thing. We come out of school and it's like, we are evidence-based professionals. When are you keeping up with evidence? When you're seeing 75 patients a week and you're taking at least an hour of notes home per week, if not five hours over the weekend. Punching out, grabbing a beer, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so you're doing, you're doing exactly (laughs) what you're, yeah, you're, you're taking the two courses, like one course a year. Um, that your company's willing to pay for that fits their model. And by the way, cause you're not working right then. Cause you're at the thing. You're not also getting paid. You're losing your bone, your, your patient oriented bonus. <laughs> um, yeah. You're taking a Friday off to, to maybe travel or take a three day course. And so I think that's another part that it just sort of starts to like slowly erode, erode the back of your brain. Cause you're like, I'm doing the same stuff I was eight years ago. And you're like, my patients are getting better, but I don't know how much better. Um, I think you, you know, we start realizing, and I made a post about this recently, like it just feels shitty to get a patient back to their prior level of function and know that prior level of function was awful. Mm. Like your prior level of function was barely walking Functional. to the end of your driveway. <laughs> right, right. Right. And insurance is like, well, they're back to walking to the end of their driveway. God, yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty low metric, man. Yeah. The guy yeah. I work with, uh, his like last straw before he opened his cash-based practice was he had a kid who, I mean, he's a high school, I think he was a high school football player, like getting D1 offers, tore his ACL. Once he could walk up and down stairs, insurance was like, he's good. Good. He's back to activities of daily living. There's 12 not, visits. Like NFL guys are nine to 12 months yeah. and they're rehabbing seven days a week, multiple times a day. And this kid got 12 visits and insurance was like, he can walk up and down stairs. We're good. We're like, cutting, that's it off, cutting them off. Yeah. And you still, and again, like you're doing that. And then realizing you got notes to do at home. So it's taking away from family time. You can't afford to make more than the minimum payment on your student loan. 
if you live in California, I don't right, know like you you're screwed yeah. on taxes. <laughs> right. I mean, that's part that sucked too when I graduated from school. Like I went in, like I'm going to be a doctor of physical therapy. Who cares how much debt I take out? Pay it back easy. No. Yeah, that goes back to like to learning taxes when you're in high school and understanding, oh you can gosh. really understanding finance and economics. What does interest on $165,000 yeah. really mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's only $150 a month, man. That's what it means. I can afford $150. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it means, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, yeah. it's a write-off. Start to, it's a write-off. <laughs> let's, Sein, let's, Seinfeld reference. Well, let's let's shift into like the the people that you're working with now because yeah. that sounds fun. And you're also like you've earned sort of a place now where you're, you're working with certain folks. I want to know what they're coming to you with for um, the how come. Yeah. And then you know what are some of the common things you're seeing? You know what is so uh, again like what speaking from the position you were coming from before like. I want to be, if I was more on the prevention side of things, like we, this would be a much different job when they finally got to me, mm -hmm. you know, for the rehab side of things. Um, what is, talk about that dynamic. Yeah. Talk about these, these folks, like who are they? So I primarily see, um, power lifters, crossfitters, people who go to group fitness. Um, you know, we, at the clinic I work at, the way we do most of our marketing is like local workshops, educational workshops, injury screens. You know, we reach out to a gym owner. You know, what are your, what are your, what is your clientele complaining about? Is it shoulders, hips, low back? Like, can we set up a workshop where we come in and give them a, mm. a couple tools? And then, you know, we have an offer obviously for them to come and get a half off eval, sure. uh, which they need. Um, cause they're all three of them hurt hips, shoulders, and yeah. <laughs> great. Um, the people listening to this show are like, yeah, I, I know exactly yeah, what you mean. Right. Yeah. Which shoulder? Cause it's, both. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I work with those people and I think I see, how do I want to say this? So it's a fair amount of cross. It's different for each population. Um, for CrossFit people, man, I don't want to like bash anything too much. I think. I think a lot of the injuries I see with active people is that I love the people I work with because they're invested in fitness. Mm -hmm. They are the going chargers. to CrossFit five days a week. They're going to group fitness seven days a week. They're training six days a week to compete in powerlifting three times a year. Sounds good. Right? Which is great. Um, but those, like the recreational fitness stuff, um, it breaks some people. Breaks a lot of people. It breaks man. a lot of people. Um, you know, there are people who are elite power lifters and I don't know, maybe you guys get this in this gym. I think a lot of gyms get this, like around the time of the Olympics, this is just kind of a, a good analogy around the time of the Olympics, summer Olympics, like guys come into their personal chair and they're like, I want to look like a swimmer, right? It's like broad shoulders, eight pack, right. long, small ways, taper, right. all this stuff. And it's like, well, the, they don't look like that because they swim, right? They swim because they've always looked like that. Yep. And so like the elite power lifters and CrossFitters, that's like a five foot seven guy, mm -hmm. right? That's like the guy that got cut from the high school baseball team, but was just crushing everyone in the weight room. They're like I'm really good at fitnessing. Um, and so we watch that. I'm the best at working out. Yeah. You know, we watch elite level I mean, there's a guy who he weighs 183 pounds and he's a four-time defending world powerlifting champion. He squats 770. Look, I've like, had you some. You can't do that. Yeah, I've had some of these guys sit in the chair. I had Jason Kalipa sit in that, yeah. in, a, in the very chair. And if you look built at, for this, he's he's a machine. He is 100 percent built for CrossFit. Yeah, right. That's, you somehow have this 
bizarre combination of like muscle mass, flexibility, big ass lungs, super efficient heart, a mindset that taps into all of that. But then unfortunately, you know, a lot of my patients are like, they can't get their arms over their head, but it, the workout yesterday was a hundred snatches. So we yeah. did a hundred snatches. And, we, so I, and, like, and I did shit. it. Yeah. Right. And <clears throat> you know, nobody really takes warmups seriously. They don't program those the way they program their workouts. And so I think the biggest thing I see and that I try and educate my patients on is like, we're all built different. And I think the biggest benefit of, of group and community oriented fitness, I mean, it's the benefits far outweigh oh, yeah. the detriments. I agree hundred percent, but, but <laughs> right. But those same things, the community, the competitiveness, the like, I'm not missing a workout because this is like my tribe. These are my friends. Those are the the things that get missed. And it's like, man, it'd be awesome if you also got to do like a couple one-on-ones with a coach where you could tailor stuff to you. Mm-hmm. It's like maybe barbell snatch isn't for you, but like dumbbell snatch one arm at a time would be totally fine. You get the same stimulus, right? The same cardiovascular Metcon. I'm sweating with my friends, all this stuff. But if you can't get your arms over, you're not destroying your shoulder. Yeah, yeah. You're not destroying your shoulder or like the only way your shoulder doesn't hurt is to arch your low back. And now it's your low back. And the coaches um, in all those sports. And again, I think this goes to similar to my PT background. Like I've worked with a lot of different recreational and competitive mm-hmm. athletes. Like a CrossFit coach knows CrossFit. A powerlifting coach knows powerlifting and it's really hard. It's like, you know, you got to squat and barbell deadlift and do barbell RDLs and do barbell good mornings and like nothing more than eight reps. Like what's the point of single leg? It's a double leg sport. Mm. Um, and people just burn out, right? It's like, there's a reason that like the Chinese Olympic weightlifting team is so dominant and they're swimmers. It's because a million kids broke on the way to get that one 17 year old who gets tens off the high dive. Great point. And people in CrossFit just keep going. Like you're not kicking anybody out of the gym because they can't do a good snatch in a community gym. And you're not kicking anyone out of the powerlifting gym because they're squatting with a hip shift because their ankle's so stiff because they have a desk job and you're not taking anyone out of group fitness and be like, Hey, just don't do the burpees everyone else is doing because it just looks bad. You know, it's just like, good job, like keep it up. And so a lot of, I think a lot of the people I work with, I'm trying to help them understand you know, tell your coach, you got to modify a couple of things or like, I'm happy to talk to your mm-hmm. trainer. I'm hot. I'm happy to talk to the person who owns the gym. Like you're not trying to, you're not trying to like ignore them or tell them, you know, better, but eventually you're going to give up your membership because everything hurts too bad. And I've had a couple people recently and they've kind of gotten to that point where like they took a break from whatever form of fitness they were doing. They started working with me in the clinic. I also coach people online inside the clinic. Mm-hmm. So I don't just give them a here's your three stretches for home. It's like, if they want to, it's a slightly higher price point. I'll write you five workouts to go do. Right. They're specific to what we're working on and your warmups are tailored to, they're like, that's your normal homework. And then you get strength training and they're like, I want to go back to CrossFit. But every time I think about it, I'm also like, I don't know if I want to do a hundred burpees ever again. <laughs> so I see people who, their physical capacity is just sort of a mismatch for their chosen style of fitness. And it's like, how do we modify that just enough that you keep going, but don't break? I think that's a really good observation. Uh, I think that exists in many spaces, probably outside like the CrossFit powerlifting space, which you've sort of identified being uh, very specifically. I look at, you know, folks applying 
fitnessing in, in very different ways and they tend to gravitate to, to what they're really good at or what makes them feel good. And there's a lot of things that do that, the community piece, the competition piece, the validation of the number on the, you know. It's all uh, so positive. It, it's, yeah, exactly. And it's how are we defining, you know, what our fitness is, is, is part of it. You and I actually talked about this before. We have, as humans, we do this in a weird kind of way. Like it's how many pounds are on the deadlift bar and it's the deadlift. That's got to be a barbell. Right, it's got to yeah. be a barbell or it has to be a marathon. Mm-hmm. You know, or, you know, it has to be, uh, you know, whatever the CrossFit games or it has to be the tactical games. And if you're not doing that, then you're just not stacking up. And it, it, it goes a little further and deeper as I, you know, I talk to and work with a lot of people in sort of the first responder community. There's a lot of high achievers there. You know, fitness is very important. Some of them need to be doing a lot more and spending a lot more time there. And some of them probably could spend a little bit less time there and be working on other important things in their life, uh, their, their health and human physiology and so forth. My, my point is, is they tend to gravitate and, and humans do this to what they're really good at and what they're, what they're comfortable doing. Not that what makes them physically comfortable, but what they're comfortable and confident in doing. This makes me feel good because I am the strongest guy in the gym. And so I just revert back to the platform because when I go over there, you know, uh, get validation. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but at the same time, they're wrecking themselves and there's not a, there's not an acknowledgement to this. And, and the, what frustrates me about these, these folks the most is they're as hard workers as they are. If you can get through to them finally, right. And get them to understand again, man, maybe a little less with, you know, the barbell with the barbell <laughs> and maybe, we, yeah, maybe work a little bit more on the mobility and just the recovery piece, right? Yeah. Just, a, just a little bit more. And then they recognize like they get this, you can finally get into maybe start doing it and, and applying it. It's, it's not like we haven't won. It's just like, okay, you're starting to get it. And they're starting to come back and say, Hey man, you know, I'm starting to feel a little bit better. I just did this thing the other day and you're going weird, you know, like <laughs> weird. You mean you're, you're, you started using the barbell a little less. You went back to that. You went to that dumbbell snatch and your, and your, uh, yeah. your shoulders weird, but great. Well, let's keep doing that, you know? And, right. they, and they do. And they're like, oh man, I'm feeling so much better, feeling so much better. And then they have a bad day and they need some validation emotionally, physically. They need, they feel like they need to punish themselves for whatever the reason is. And they take themselves into that pain, pain cave with that other thing. They go back to it. It's like, fuck it. No, I'm going back. I'm, I'm going to get this anger out or this thing out. It's been long enough or whatever. And they go right back to square one Uh, because they're, they're seeking like an emotional, you know, validation or something from it. And a lot of this has just has to do with going back to the fitnessing piece versus going back to being like a pro athlete and you going all the way back to the rehab piece and the NFL is going eight, nine month rehabs on ACLs or whatever versus Mm -hmm. the high school kid who gets 12 sessions to be able to climb up a set of stairs. That is not a long-term, a good short or long-term approach to long-term success. And, you know, the, the, uh, most NFLers get, get, you know, whatever resources, I'm not saying they're applying it correctly, but they get the resources to really make sure like we have an investment here mm-hmm. and we need to get this guy back on the field. Right. Uh, and in, in order to do that, we have to have a very organized, periodized pl- program to get them maybe through the injury recovery process to the, then ultimately to the return to play process. And so it's not about fitnessing. It is a very, very specific approach to taking this individual with this individual problem or individual problem set Mm -hmm. through a plan. Like I, and and again, that involves 
several different professionals at several different levels. He's not doing it himself. Right. Researching the YouTubes, researching the Instagrams and the TikToks and the Facebooks and all that stuff uh-huh. to self-diagnose and bias himself into some program and then going to some guy on the internet somewhere who looks good with the shirt off and seems to be talking the right game and was the professional or the expert or that let's just say that the athlete at the sport that he's wanting and buying his thirty nine ninety nine program, right. you know, this is going to be your answer on the thing. I digress. My, 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 I guess my point there is, is like as high, as high achieving as they are, as hard as they're willing to work, it, as disciplined as they'll be at certain things, you can, it's so hard to get them to do the very fundamental things they need to do on a consistent basis right. in order to stay healthy and continue to progress. Right. It's wild. It's, and I think this, being experienced in both the fitness industry and now in the physical therapy industry, having my own set of injuries, like I've herniated the same disc twice. I've had back surgery Mm. once. I started powerlifting after that. Mm. Like, dumb, right? Like my (laughs) current, I'm currently training for a 10K and a powerlifting meet at the same time. And I'm doing that because I want my legs to be sort of compromised from the running. So I don't push myself and have another back injury. I'm not going to hurt myself running. It's going to suck. I'd rather go to the gym, but I, I got to, put aside two, if not three days to run right now, which sort of hijacks my squat and deadlift. And those are where I'm going to hurt myself. Like I'm not built to power lift. I'm six foot two, right? If I don't eat a ton, I divert back to like 205 pounds. Like I meant to run. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy it yep, me <laughs> nearly as much as lifting, but I think I'm able to have the type of conversations we're talking about with my patients where one Along the pro athlete line, and this is, I would say, especially pervasive in CrossFit and powerlifting, where you can compete, mm-hmm. right? They are both competitive pursuits, but they're not full-time jobs. Right. So, and I've had this conversation with multiple patients over the last year, where it's like, man, like, my knees are killing me. Like, I see other people working out way harder. they got these athletes, you know, running and jumping and, and CrossFit games level stuff or like NFL guys, you know, they come back from an ACL and their knees don't hurt. And like my knees hurt and all the time. I'm like, well, you just told me you, you climbed up and down a ladder yesterday, 37 times. And every time you were carrying a door, right? Like you do framing, you're yeah. on your knee, you work 50 hours a week. You don't have a private chef. You've got three kids under six, right? Your nutrition by your own admission is horrible. And you sleep four and a half hours a night. Of course your knees hurt. You wouldn't even have to do CrossFit. Right. Right. CrossFit's probably helping. Um, but maybe not thrusters, yeah. you know, or whatever right. it is, not pistol squats. Um, and the same thing with powerlifting. I think you got a lot of young kids at the gym I go to, and it's like, you're gonna break yourself out of this sport if you don't do some GPP, if you don't do some mobility work, if you don't have some sort of cardiovascular endurance. And this goes back to what we talk about in in PPSC and the certification and helping trainers understand this. Cause I think sort of like we want doctors, you'd, you'd wish doctors would talk about exercise more and nutrition more. <laughs> like you want personal trainers to talk about health more. Mm-hmm. I think it needs to be a two way street. Uh-huh. It's not just biceps and abs and like as much sweat as you can have dripping off you and like chasing the pump and the wall. It's like the point is like if the, if the way that you are exercising leaves you feeling worse, 
that's not the point. Amen. Like exercise should make you feel better. And the gym should enhance everything you do outside of it, right? For most people, unless you're getting paid to be a bodybuilder, crossfitter, or strongman, right? And that's your livelihood. The gym is, it's a, it's the most health optimizing hobby you could have, but it's just that like, it should not make you, you shouldn't wake up every time you train the next day and you're like, you can barely get out of bed and it takes you 72 hours to recover. Yep. Um, it's defeating the purpose. It's an you're going to stop. And that's the worst thing that can happen. Like, it's going to get taken stop. away from you. It's going to get taken you're away from you. You're going to be forced to stop. Yeah. And, and that's the point. And that's the end. That's where you're at with the consumer, the end user that has to stop for whatever reason is forced to yeah. at a lot of levels. And we've seen, we've, well, we've benefited financially and from a business, you know, growth perspective from that very thing, a lot of folks walk into, you know, our facility because they have been through that turnstile. They're at mm-hmm. that same point. We've seen, yep, seen it a million times. And then it's weird. Like, well, it's not weird. It's just interesting that like they haven't run into a point where anybody's ever told this before. They haven't really realized it. And we, we can start picking things out like in an assessment, like right from the get go, just like, oh, this, I, I almost expect to see it. So yeah. it's not like I'm, it's not like I'm, I'm self, I'm biasing, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, the thing, but I'm, I, I can already expect like, this is what you tell me what you're doing. Well, I've been doing this, blah, blah, blah. I go, oh, no, no, the shoulders are going to be a thing. And yeah, know, we like, get there and it's like, show me how you squat. Yeah. Show yeah. me that. Show me that. Yeah. Okay. I just, I'm, I just need to see it to. To, confirm to, to confirm it. it. Mm-hmm. And then you start to tell them like, well, here's probably what's going on. And here's the reasons why. Let me guess. You've probably been doing this. You haven't been doing that. Let me guess how this shows up at other places during your day in life. And, and well, let's talk about this part of, you know, your day, you know, how does this, it, are you also, you know, the talk, tell me their knee hurts. So tell me about how your low back feels when you do this particular movement. Like, holy shit, that's a problem for me every single time. Like weird Mm -hmm. because you're just like everybody else that's coming here. That's, that's gone through the same thing. I guess my, my point of that is, is like, we've gotten that like, and it's going to happen. I understand how humans are. And I also understand like when you start to feel empowered to do something, you know, like in CrossFit was awesome. And I I want to, want to be I'll be really upfront about this. I think it is awesome for how many people it did and still does pull into the space and give them a sense of how to exercise, to improve their health, to feel part of community. Uh, I love how it puts weights in people's hands, right? You know, especially women, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 uh, and advocating for lifting heavy shit. Cause we know that's super important. And, and again, there's so much to be gained there. Uh, there's all this positive stuff that comes out of it. I just think, again, it, it gets a little bit ahead of itself and the human human doesn't necessarily know how to adjust. And by the way, you shouldn't, you shouldn't know. You're not that person. Like that's, you have a job. You're a yeah. professional uh-huh. framer yeah, right? exactly. or, or whatever else. Like you're, you're not an exercise physiologist or a physical therapist or a experienced, you know, um, health, wellness, fitness, human performance coach, whatever, whatever it is that you're, you know, what your issues are. But that brings us sort of to the next thing and sort of how the industry is trying to adjust or has adjusted to this. And I should also say, you know, that it hasn't adjusted in a lot of ways. Like, so there's a lot of, when we look at the, the education of outside the institution of what, how we would typically look at education, like university, mm-hmm. like uh, physical therapy, doctorate programs or, you know, exercise science programs at the university level or so forth. When we start to look outside of that, this has always been part of the, 
the, the educational model, at some points in time, it's been really well accepted and recognized. And at other times, it's been absolutely bastardized or ostracized, like this is no good. And it's interesting to see how it's come, how it's evolved. Because when I got in this business 25 years ago, it was much different than it is now, but it wasn't really. Yeah, It's very much still the same, very much still a lot of the same stuff being taught that isn't effective or efficient when you're coaching general population or even athletes. But then there's people that are trying to fill the fill the gaps, and I would almost say disrupt that yep. whole that whole paradigm. Uh, so maybe we talk a little bit about that and kind sure. of where you're at with this. So I think to zoom out a little bit too, you know, we're talking about the right way to exercise and 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 certain types of workouts and movements, and even like certain tools within the gym, via you know barbell versus kettlebell versus dumbbell versus body weight. You know, trying to fit the person as a puzzle piece into the right spot on the puzzle. I heard a great analogy where like, there's a lot of times where, you know, a puzzle piece doesn't quite fit, but you're like, it's close enough that if I keep pushing, I think maybe I can convince myself it's right. But never, done you know it's wrong. Yeah. Never, never done that in my life. Never done that in my life. And you don't immediately snap the puzzle piece in half, but like it starts to fray a little bit, but you're like, mm. oh, it's going to go. Like, I don't want to keep looking for that piece. Like I'm going to push a little harder, I think. And then eventually it just like folds and you're like, shit. Fuck. Like I broke the puzzle. Yes. Um, that's sort of what I think a lot of people do is they just, they want to do the thing that they know how to do. Like their friends go to CrossFit and you're like, if they, if they can do it mm. and it doesn't hurt. And my friends go to this group fitness boot camp thing and they're killing it. They're losing weight. Nothing hurts. And I go, and I'm like, this doesn't feel good for me, but I don't know anything else. And, and like, clearly I'm doing something wrong because all the other people seem to be enjoying it. And you just don't realize there's another gym down the street that's different and might be perfect for you. There but, is no one size fits all. But that's talking about such a tiny subset of the population yes. that even goes to the gym. Yep. This is so depressing, right? I just saw uh, one little uh, clip from a research article and it was uh, 20, I think it was 27.5% of Americans over 50 reported getting no leisure time, physical activity, zero on an average month. So nothing outside of work that is physically active. I think 25% of Americans qualify as completely sedentary, meaning less than 90 minutes of physical activity a week in any form, including their job. <clears throat> That's, that is rough. percent of Americans have a gym membership. Yeah, no. So 50% of them say they don't go. Now, now, now we're getting the stats that I'm very aware of. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing I like to think about, but also don't like to think about is, okay, so we're now at 7% of people who have a membership and go. How many of those people are doing anything worth their while? Just go to the gym. 5%? Yeah, just go to the gym. You could, you could figure it out. Yeah. Right? Half of, those, half of those are just like the 70-year-old guy who's been doing the same sets and reps at the same weight and the same ineffective stretching. For it's the 30 reading years. A, reading a book on a recumbent bike with the resistance off. Mm -hmm. You know, or like cardio only and seeing how many stairs they can do on a stair mill while leaning all their upper They're body pretending weight on to it. Fitness. Oh my gosh. They're even pretending so to fitness. The amount of people, I, I wish there were more people choosing the wrong type of exercise. Uh, uh, that would be great. Yeah. You're actually, yeah, well, we, <laughs> I think we'd have people a, exercising and then, and then we'll figure it out from there. Then yeah. we'll start being like, Hey, how about you go over here instead? But first we need to fucking go. Yeah. So like, that's a huge problem. <laughs> so I think that's maybe the biggest gap in the fitness rehab education world is like there's more gyms, there's more trainers, 
There's more social media, obviously, than there was 20 years ago and it didn't even exist. There's more experts coaching people. There's more online fitness coaches. There's more online coaching summits. And there's a less healthy population. It's like we're clearly not doing this right. Mm -hmm. Like we're, I think it's a giant echo chamber in a way. It goes back to that like, most people going to the gym is like gym people going to the dentist. Like they don't want to be there. So how do we help people understand the benefits of exercise that aren't vain, right? That don't make them have that same, like, that's just an ego driven non waste of my time. Right. You know, it's either bodybuilding or running and that's all there is. I don't want to do either of those. So there's just like, we got to figure out how to make fitness more like proactive preventative health care. And that's what we talk about when I, that's why I'm out here to teach. Like that's our opening yeah. line is like, not healthcare one word, but like health space care, like care of health. I have some thoughts on this. Yeah. And one of those is, uh, this is compounded by entrepreneurs, business people, investment groups, recognizing the problem. Did I tell you about how to, I can help you make 10K in your first month of time, by the way? <laughs> so so <laughs> this is part of it, right? Uh -huh. It's that distraction. And the distraction model is in that kind of bullshit like the coach's coach, right? And, you know, you should be making this amount of money. And if you're not, you're a loser. Uh, and then, you know, and sold by a person that's never done it a day in their life, but understands algorithms and, yeah. and, and video editing and things like that. But it's on the consumer end specific, not to the, like the consumer of coaching pro products, that being a coach that's buying oh, like bullshit from somebody else. But the person that needs to exercise, they've been confused or been, uh, I don't know, Confusion comes with the distraction of trying to make exercising entertaining because they don't like it. So they're trying to find the exertainment somewhere, whether that's like the that. party on the bike, whether that's the, and, and that's in a lot of different ways where you're physically going to a studio, there's a disco, you know, you know, mm -hmm. ball and lights and a DJ in the corner or whatever else. And you're doing party on the bike. I'm not saying that that couldn't be a good thing. I'm just saying. I think you're, you're distracting yourself because, and by the way, I see a lot of potentially very bad things happening in those things, in those studios with regard to why the fuck are you doing that on a bicycle? I digress. Or you're doing it at home in front of a screen where there's still a party on the bike and you're doing it virtually. You know, when we start look, looking at the, the, <clears throat> the company that starts at the P and then there's the other things like, you know, well, if we can do this on bicycles, then we can also do this on rowing machines. We can do it on treadmills mm -hmm. and we can all these other things. Right. So we've tried to distract people with like, if it's not fun, then it's dumb. And this is where the cool kids are doing it. And this makes sense. And this is, you know, we've we made it a, a social thing. I think those are all good components. I think you can do, you can make exercise fun and somewhat entertaining, but now you've dumbed it down. And you've also, you're also selling it to them as this is the solution and this is the answer uh, when we know that to be very untrue. So there's a distraction that's happening the whole time while you're trying to try to get them to understand the benefits of it. And the benefits for them are, oh, I get social time. I get a new workout outfit. I get to share my time with, with Susie and, you know, Jenny, you know, on Saturday mornings. And then we go drink wine and, and have brunch or, you know, mimosas or whatever when we're done. And, at the, you know, the whole time then, you know, I'm recognizing that that's really good for me because I start to lose a little weight. I've lost a little weight once I've started because I'm burning a few more calories and it's working until it doesn't. And those mimosas and, you know, the, the brunch catches up with, up to you because you've, you've 
slowed your metabol your metabolism down, or more specifically, you've metabolically adapted, and mm-hmm. now you're not losing. And then you go harder, and then that's not the answer anymore. So you cho- choose the next form of entertainment. So all of that's happening in the background, and meanwhile, a coach, you know, or the industry is trying to make some sense of what exercise and health and whatever should be for that person. And they're the, the voices are a lot louder yeah. on the other side. I mean, it's just, it's hard. It's, like entertainment obviously sells way better than exercise. So I totally understand why you would, I like entertainment. That's a great time. Never heard that before. I don't know if you made that up. That's great. That's what it is. I, don't, I can't, I can't take credit for it, but yeah. Well, good <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it's just so hard. Like, I remember reading something. It was just like an NPR. It wasn't a scholarly article, but it was talking about like why human beings don't like to exercise. It's like we evolved to do as little as possible because we had to hunt. Mm-hmm. We had to be migratory. We had to build shelter. We had to forage. We had to run away from the apex predator that was not us or fight the tribe that was going to come take our land. And it's like, suddenly none of that exists. Industrial revolution, man. And it's not, yeah, it's not like in the 19, I don't know if you saw that thing going on on Instagram. It was like PE in the 1940s. And like, everyone's just lean and jacked and doing like dips and handstand walks and running and jumping over hurdles. And it's like, Yes, I did see that. It's not because their dads were going to the gym. Gyms didn't exist. Like, I mean, that's, we're not built to voluntarily exercise. So I don't, we got, and so that's why the entertainment is, I think, valuable. But then on the flip side, like you said, it works till it doesn't. Like, it's going to burn people out. It makes it really hard for the the folks who truly understand how exercise works and how it's a long-term game and you need some boring strength training to help you be independent when you're 75. And I'm telling you that when you're 25 and you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like I'm 25 years old. I don't want to talk about assisted living and like cost of renting yeah. apartments and like burden on my fa- What family are you talking about? You're like, Dude, oh, let's I go just to need bar. you to understand. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I do think to get back to the question of like the education side, I do think there are a lot of people, not a lot. There are organizations doing a really good job of creating really high quality fitness professionals right now. Um, and it's a good time for it because I believe at least the year pre-pandemic, I should look these up, but I think it was like 2019, there was an 80% turnover rate in the personal training industry, meaning 80% of personal trainers probably don't even make it a year. Um, or 80% goes and does something because it's so hard to sell exercise. Um, so I think where we kind of get stuck though is like, I love learning about exercise. Again, it's the dentist analogy again. We're selling fitness to the people who want to fitness. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we've We're not done a to that whole lot to figure out how to convince people who don't exercise to exercise. And I, I, I don't know what the answer, other I, I, than like this whole sort of like a scare tactic, like people need to under, like people have the autonomy and like the agency to reduce almost all of these modern lifestyle industrial conditions, but they have to work consistently every week for the rest of their life on it because life has set us all up to be like fat and frail and sick and oh and we've died we've created the industries age. to support all or of die that. die old at a young age yeah we, we, i mean look big pharma you know the insurance companies the current the modern medical healthcare 
you know, everything delivered sick to your care door. system, all that. I mean, no look at human interaction. I remember Pizza Hut was like, you can order from your table when we still went into Pizza Hut. Yeah, I, you have a screen built into your table. And you're like, I want this topping, this topping. And then like someone just gives it to you, you don't talk to them. And now that's just your phone and your door. It's, like, it's, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's wild. Convenience uh, is not good. This speaks, this speaks to something else, you know, that I was thinking when I said I had things to say about it. The other part, I think that really, what, which is challenging for me is I remember this differently. I'm an old guy. So I know that people probably can't relate to this, but in, in my good friend, Donnie, um, Donnie Oliver, who works for, he's a VP for um, UFC gyms. Uh, we worked together for years and, and he, he brought this, this up a couple of times when I podcasted with him, but also just in, in, the, the many years that I've, I've known him. And that is at some point we turned playing like recreational playing into PE, mm. you know, like physical education and we made it unfun and we tried to structure it in ways that made it unfun for people or, or didn't give or allow people the flexibility to do the things that they liked doing or wanted to do or we're good at, or, you know, explore different things. Like, this is what we're doing. This is what it is. And I think people started to hate it. We, so we took playing and we turned it into a, a, a chore, mm. right? And we graded it, you know, and we defined it as you either, you know, you either did the pull-ups or you didn't. So fitness is pull-ups, right? Mm. That's how I got, that's, this, that's how my whole journey started. It started with pull-ups. For those people that haven't heard it, it was re- really very simple. It was the presidential physical fitness testing. I was in the eighth grade. They took us out to the field where we had some pull-up bars, you know, set up on the, on, you know, it was on the turf somewhere. And they had, you know, the boys classes and the girls classes. And they took us out there for, and we we're going through the week of physical fitness testing. And it's dumb. It was the fucking mile run. It was the pull-ups. It was the sit, sit and reach. reach. It was all that stupid shit. Sit-ups in a minute. Sit-ups in a minute, all that mm-hmm. stuff, right? Like, it was ridiculous. Uh just it was like, are you going to join the army? Asinine, right? <laughs> but besides, but I going going back. So we get up to the pull-up bar, and and I, you know, it wasn't like I'd never hung from a bar before, um, and I don't remember what the test did or didn't look like before. If I'd ever taken before, I just know this is where it really where, where it really resonated with me, and that was. You know, we had to, we had to hang from the bar and people were just going up one at a time, girls, boys, girls, boys, the bars were right next to one another. And at the end of the day, um, I, it comes to me, um, I get up there, uh, hang from the bar, uh, go ahead and pull up and I can't fucking pull my body weight up. I'm just hanging there. And the girl next to me does like three or five pull-ups and I'm fucking devastated, you know, and I, I, I come off the bar and I go, I'm a complete failure. And I was embarrassed uh, I was, I was mortified is more of the, more of the word, but it was also the most, the most important thing that ever happened to me from like a, from a physical fitness perspective, because it, it gave me awareness to where I actually was right. And what I could and couldn't do. And the, when I saw the other people doing it, 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 it dawned on me, like, it's not that this can't be done. It's just that I can't do it. What's the answer to this? Well, at the same time, the, we, my parents lived across the street or my growing up, we lived across the street from this park, which is owned by the power company because it had some power lines running through underground and overhead and whatever else. So they put in one of those little park horses through the park mm-hmm. and in that, and right out in front of the house, they put in the pull-up bars, right? Is, you know, going back to the, to the physical fitness testing thing. Uh, they don't do this really in parks anymore, but the pull-up bar was there. By the next year, nobody could do more fucking pull-ups than me. I just went over there, started pulling up. Right. And started doing these things. But the, the point of this is, is I chose at that point for whatever reasons, and I know where they came from. It was how I was brought up. I was an athlete before that. It wasn't that I wasn't an athlete. I just couldn't pull my, I just didn't have the strength to pull my body weight up. Um, 
And I'd never not enjoyed PE. I really loved it, but I'd been exposed to this thing that I couldn't do and it challenged me and it mortified me and embarrassed me and it made me really reflect and think. And that's how I, I did it. Uh, and, and that's, sorry, that's what got me into wanting. And I saw change. Like if I put in the effort, if I put in the work and that was fun for me, I felt rewarded from that. Uh, my, my point of the, the PE and, and chores and getting people in, in activity being a chore is getting people to really enjoy it. I, I think we've taken that away from our, our, our population. You know, where are you exposed to it anymore? It's all academics all the time. It's all video games. It's all electronics. It's not, it's all participation awards. There's no competition around it. You don't ever get to feel the feels from, you know, physically exerting yourself outside of what's, what's happening, you know, internally, physiologically, but like, there's good stuff that comes from that. Like competing with people, like getting those, you know, getting those, those feel good hormones and chasing the cortisol, you know, and chasing maybe some of the dopamine that happens from this stuff. Like I, people, this comes back to me on the show all the times we've said it a few times, like people don't know what healthy actually feels like and what feeling fit actually feels like and how good that can feel and how that can drive so many cool things in life. And from self-confidence to, you know, a, a different sense of uh, well-being, like there's so many things there, like, and there are studies on this mm-hmm. shit, like mm-hmm. this, and we, we're, yeah, we're not closing the gap. And uh, we could sit here that we don't, we're not going to come up with the answers today, but that, that's, that's the thing that I watch is like, if PE isn't mandatory, and it's not in a lot of places. It's not compulsory in California schools like it used to be. Like right. one day a week, maybe two days a week, you know, and what are we doing? Yeah. Like, well, we don't do things where we actually compete because we'll hurt kids' feelings if they quote unquote lose, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's gotten softer. It's just not physically challenging. And so what's going to, what's going to change that? What's going to turn the, turn the ship? Man, I don't know, but I will tell you this. I'll get off my soapbox here. I severely underestimated the human spirit and, and just the, I lost a lot of faith. I thought people would come out of that pandemic going, holy shit, that was scary. Like, this is scary. Like I'm scared. Like I scared myself. I, I really, really no, And I mean, really need to take better care of myself this time. Like I, I, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to be, you know, be, vulnerable to something like this in the mm-hmm. future. I would, you know, I need to, I might need to go walk, you know, do some physical activity. I'm 50 years old. I, I should do an hour of physical activity a week, mm-hmm. you know, or something like that. And it seems to be getting worse. Yep. So I, this goes back to what you're saying in terms of the education space. And what are you teaching people to do if the population is going the other way? Like, what are yep. we, what are we teaching them? What are we teaching, like fitness professionals yeah. and healthcare professionals? Yeah. How or how are we teaching them differently and to adapt to this stuff? Like, yeah. what what's new? I mean, so in terms of like what I'm doing as an educator, yep. So I think it again, it's it's tying, it's expanding the fitness and the and the re I'll call it a rehab professional, like a fitness and a rehab professional's understanding of how much positive impact they can have on their patients and clients' lives. I think that's the Mm. sort of ground roots revolution that's going to start is it's like you need more like endlessly optimistic, passionate Passionate. professionals Mm. who are going to 
not let their clients slip through the cracks, who are going to help their clients understand the long term, like the long game, and who are going to go out and talk about it, right? And like who are going to just not shut up about it. And then you change a couple people's lives and they start talking about it and like the game of telephone starts mm-hmm. and it's the whole like local networking thing because like you don't see ads for gyms during Sunday night football. Nope. You know, you don't have a personal trainer who's got $2 million to spend on 30 seconds on NBC. Nope. So, but it's McDonald's. So, you know, we're not, you're not, you're never going to have a gym on every corner the way you have fast food on every corner. But I think it's got to, it's basically like, that's the answer to me is getting, getting the health and rehab professionals to own their power as frontline healthcare providers. Like they are the ones who will prevent their clients from experiencing all these avoidable lifestyle things. You got to make it enjoyable. You got to make it personalized. You have to understand on like the sort of the psychology side, how to help your clients and patients tie it to their actual life. And then on the practical side, we need to understand how to fit the fitness to the person Mm -hmm. so that we don't take the person who was finally ready to do something and hurt them two weeks in or just completely and then they re- lost them, give them the, or give them the worst experience yeah. they've ever had. One way I mean, or another, they got to overcome, yeah. you know, every other person, in their family, not exercising, right. Not understanding why they're not eating the same things, not understanding why they're not having the soda with dinner, not going out for the drink, mm-hmm. um, why they are going to take two hours out of their week to go to the gym when they could be doing stuff around the house and they could be making more money. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last thing we can do with those people is like physically break them or hurt them or not know where to start them with exercise, push them too hard. Um, or on the physical therapy side, it's probably more like underload them, mm. like completely underestimate what they're physically capable of and do so little for them that they don't actually get better. And on the fitness side, it's like not everyone needs a Metcon on the first day. <sighs> like we had a trainer and she talks about, she had a client and they were going to do their little intake conversation while they did a five minute walk on a treadmill. And this person was ex-military. They did a five minute jog, like at four miles an hour on a five incline. And after three and a half of the five minutes, the client excused themselves to go to the bathroom and came back. Like I just threw up. Like I was in the military, but the last time I worked out was my PT test five years ago. And so we have to do better. Not a simple answer, but I, I do think it comes back to, we got to get super clear and super confident on the outcomes that regular high quality physical activity create. And then to your point is make it enjoyable, like enough play along with what they need, like enough of what they want with plenty of what they need. Mm -hmm. um, And then helping people stick with it for the long term. And so the long term, it's got to be enjoyable. Yeah. I think part of that enjoyable is the human connection that has to happen there. I mean, cause I, I, I know I don't even have to, I don't have to know any of your clients, but I bet if I talk to all of them, they're going to tell me what a great guy you are, right. And how much, how much they enjoy working with you. And you know, that you're, you know, all the personal qualities and personal traits as well as professional traits that you have. And they're going to be able to give me that in detail. And if you ask them a question 
They're going to give you all the things that you need and you guys are always on the same page. And I think that's a big, big part of it too, is having a mature enough coach that can understand how to connect with their, with their, with their client in a, in a meaningful way, uh, to be a support system for them and, you know, not sign off on their bullshit, but at the same time, be able to show understanding and get them back on track and make that a fun experience and an enlightening experience, which takes, you know, a certain level of maturity in life in order, in order to get there. I'm not saying you have to be a psychologist or a therapist or whatever. That's not what, not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying be their buddy. It's not what I'm saying either. I'm saying just knowing how to have, a, you know, communicate effectively with, with your client in a way and really set some, some really, some boundaries, but also some really strong foundations for why they're there, what's happening, or, or excuse me, what they want to see happen and how they need to be accountable to certain things in order to make that that happen. And then, you know, this is where the coach needs to be accountable to, to seeing and making things happen while also making that very, very fun. Yeah. And it's just it, obviously hard. Like, it was just we're hard. Talking about, it is hard. I'm not giving you, I don't know. I, we haven't done a lot of strategy, but like yeah. there's strategy out there. It's just, it's, it's freaking tough. It, it is hard. And, and, and there is no one size fits all for any human. I think there's some frameworks that work really well. I've seen some very successful ones. We utilize some of those and employ some of those here. I'm always learning from watching, you know, coaches work with their clients now. And when I t- get to talk to folks, with, you know, folks like you both online and offline, just about, you know, the things that they're doing, I'm always curious to, to find out, you know, what is, the, what are the things that are, people are really responding well to now? And what are the, some of the things we can be looking out for? But to, to your point, like, it, it, there isn't really a one, there isn't a solution for this. People have to want to feel better. And again, if they have nothing to relate that to, that can be very, very tough. And so going back to the education piece and how you're working with, 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 uh, with coaches, aspiring coaches, physical therapists, people that are looking to get better. That's a great start. Because if you've got somebody that's really investing and bought into, you know, their professional development and, uh, in, in, exploring different things, maybe, you know, getting outside their comfort zone or whatever they may or may not have been doing for a long, long time. That is a really great start because ultimately that's what you're going to be asking your client to do. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a coach out there that's listening to this and you haven't been in the, you know, in the game where you've been, you know, challenging yourself from an educational perspective or more specifically, just getting in the room with really smart people or people that are smarter than you, or just people that are just trying to get better, uh, that's your responsibility. It's as much of your responsibility in this whole process. If you think, well, I've got my degree and I've got my certification. And so I've got all I need to know. I think you're, you're part of the problem uh, there because no, I know you're part of the problem because the problem's getting worse, right? So if yeah, you're not evolving, worse. yeah. So if you're not evolving, this isn't, this isn't happening. And that's why this is, that's why this journey on the podcast is so important for me just to be able to sit with you and like, how can we, how can we maybe impact the people that we do, we are in front of and can influence right now? Yeah. Um, so that's why you're, I mean, outside of, you know, sitting down in the studio with me today, that's why you're out here. You're out here with PPSC. Um, it's a two day um, personal training or let's just say coaching certification. Doesn't mean you have to be a personal trainer. Right. Who are these people? Like, like, you know, in terms of the students, like what's the typical crowd look like? What's the mix? So it's usually like 70% plus fitness professionals, whether that's gym owners, personal trainers at big box gyms, um, people who are, you know, sole proprietor training people out of their garage, uh-huh. hybrid online coaches. We've had a few people recently who are online only. Um, and then we also usually get like one or two physical therapists, maybe a, like a sports chiropractor. We've had a couple of massage therapists take the class, people who work with people, um, 
to improve their fitness. Mm -hmm. And so we really focus on, again, helping those people understand the power they have as providers of health Mm -hmm. to their communities, how many more touch points fitness and rehab providers have than any other person within the healthcare space. Um, And we kind of take this like no dogma approach to training. We teach systems. So we teach a systematic approach to physical preparation and warming up your clients as like a, basically a daily assessment to figure out where they're at, where their head's at, like physically, where are they? Is your plan for the day still seem good based on what you're seeing in their warm up? And then we spend all day on this. So it's a two day course. That's kind of day one laying this foundation and going through this six phase warm up process. Um, and then day two, we spend all day going through what we feel are like the six non-negotiable foundational movement patterns of the squat, the hinge, the lunge, the push, the pull, and the carry, Mm -hmm. and how to screen those, assess those, and then program them in ways that are going to be successful from day one for the individual in front of you so that we avoid that scenario of, I'm a hammer, therefore my client has to be a nail, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to wreck them if if they can't keep up. but at the same time, it's, like, so it's, it's called pain-free performance and it's a double-edged sword. We want fitness professionals to understand that people have pain. Mm-hmm. Pain is normal. 90% of people experience low back pain of at least six weeks at some point in their life, if not neck, shoulder, knee, foot, ankle, and hip. Hands right? up. So yeah, exactly. That's how we start every weekend. The trainers are in pain. It's like, well, what do you think your clients feel like? They feel like shit. Um, so We want them to understand that pain is not a stop sign. It's more like a yellow light. It means caution. Let's assess a little further. Let's figure this out. But but don't scare people out of the gym because their doctor and their husband and their uncle are all going to try and get them to stop working out. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also understanding that we don't we need enough tools to not be the cause of pain for the person who actually doesn't have it when they come see us. Mm, That's it's a very simple premise, right? At the same time. It's what I, what I, what I get for this is, is, is it's about the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. It is about the fundamentals of movement. It's about the fundamentals of understanding humans. It's about the fundamentals of understanding pain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it never, it's, it, it, that never changes. But I like, so going back to that's non-dogmatic and it's, but it's systematic mm-hmm. in a sense that gives you flexibility and autonomy as a professional coach to do exactly. the right thing for the client within front of you that's in front of you for the particular thing that you're trying to get accomplished with them for that, whether it's that rep, that set, mm-hmm. that, that, that week, right. Or that particular workout that week, that month, you know, whatever it happens to be, I've been through it. I've seen it, uh, my, myself, it's probably the best one I've ever seen. And I've been through a lot, too many to count, um, through awesome. it's probably the best one. And I only say probably because it's the last one I went through. I haven't been one through since. So I, I can't say that I went to one after that, that was better or worse. Yeah, yeah. So, but in my experience, and again, I'll just say that the, I'll use this very specific word, um, which is, you know, obviously it's, it's got value to it. And that's a lot of, uh, I mean, that's sarcastically, I've been to a lot over, in 25 years. I mean, at least one to two a year over that amount of time. Um, and then even taught some, uh, you know, many for a, a 10 year span. So I, 
I really, what I really got from that was what you just said there, which is I'm not telling you there's a formula here. I'm telling you there's a framework. Yes. And I think that's where people get lost in this game is just tell me what to do, coach. What are, what is the step-by-step? You know, what's the, okay, I did, I did step one. Oh, check. I did step two. Check. I did step three. Expecting that if I just keep going down four, then five, four leads to five, five leads to six and so on and so forth. And that's what a lot of these certifications and I think a lot of trainers, coaches in a lot of different genres, not just fitness, that's what they do. Like they've, they're, they're regurgitating some stuff, right? But they're also trying to give, you know, a, a false formula for success to, to somebody and they walk out of there thinking like, this is what it's going to be. And in my 25 years, that's what I've seen over and over. It's yeah, much, what do you do when it doesn't work? You just mentioned that with physical therapy. You know, just going back, like, okay, we have all these tools and these things, but it's not working, right? There's, there's things we have to be able to, to do here. And I can't, cause I don't have enough time or I don't have the tools or, you know, like whatever the case is. I think a lot of coaches and a lot of genres, and we handle that on the show and in other formats on the show, just they, they're looking for that check bit, that check uh, list of, of items. That checklist list of items is more of like a checklist in the framework. If I do this, and I get through here, it could lead to this next section. In this next section, there are right and left maybe parameters here, but that a client could be anywhere in in there it, with, with the particular thing that they're practice skill or whatever that they're right. trying to practice. And th- what this certification does, I think it really empowers people to figure out the problem. The coach helps the 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 the, the coach to figure out the problem. Uh, that's that's in front of them and gives them some back checks to go back to if they're having a tough time with it. Yes. And that's the thing is looking back like, okay, I may have missed something here. Let me go back a little bit. And that's, I think that was the most valuable part I took away from it. Yeah. I think it's, it's just enough of the first A, then B. Once you've done B, then C. But like it, C could be a lot of different yep. things. Mm-hmm. So very simple. It's like the way we teach it is the first thing you do for 99% of clients when they come into the gym is some sort of soft tissue preparation. Mm. I'm not telling you what kind of soft tissue preparation or the tool. I'm not selling you a Theragun necessarily (laughs) or a a certain lacrosse ball with this like diameter knob on it. (laughs) It's like some sort of soft soft tissue prep will enhance your stretching. What kind of stretching? What kind of stretching do you like? Here's how we teach it. But if you got a different reason that you can justify for the client in front of you, do that. Once you've done that, get their core activated. How? Well, let's, we're going to show you four ways. There's a million, mm-hmm. right? Everyone has to squat, but not everyone has to squat the same. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has to use the same tool. Not everyone needs to hit the same depth. Not everyone needs the same amount of weight or volume or tempo or it's anything. A, it's all the depends. But they got to squat. It's all the depends yeah. based on the, the fundamental. We're like, so I've always done this other way. Is that wrong? You're like, Ask, I, I want to be like, have you been listening? Yeah, this ask yourself whole that time? question again. And no, yeah, out it's loud, different. Yeah. If right, you right. can justify it, it's fine. Right. It's just not how we're teaching it. I can't teach you every way to do a bridge. Right. But you can do a bridge however you want if it gets the result that you're trying to get that your clients what are, want. Yeah, what are you trying to achieve? So, yeah, I think coaches love it. And, I, and I've started saying this when I teach it. It's like, you can take a course that blows your mind with novel information. Saturday and Sunday. And then a Monday you're like, I have no, no idea. idea what to do with this, mm-hmm. but it was crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not this course. This is like 
I've heard almost all of this at some point, I think. Good but point. No one's ever lined it up for Good me point. to be like, oh, of, of course you do soft tissue, then you stretch, then you engage the core, then you get them up on their feet, and then you do something dynamic, and then you train. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. This is not earth shattering <laughs> information. Right. But it's like, damn. It, it, it's, Thanks. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. And I got a page where it's like, on squat day, for someone who says they have knee pain, one, two, three, four, five. Here's some, here's some things I might try. Plug it in, yep. change it if you need to. So yeah, here's uh, some things I might try. Fantastic course. Yeah, I love the I love the course, and I you know like Cece and I go to these things after so many that we've been through, and uh, you know again her teaching at the university level or whatever. And we're not looking to go have our minds blown anymore. It's more of the like, it's almost like okay, they're validating what we know to be true, right? Mm-hmm. Based on experience, which is and a, actual result, which is a valuable thing to have happen. One hundred. 100%. Mm-hmm. So for those people, this is my point. Like for those people that are very experienced that have been through a lot of things before that are going, I'm not giving my money to another organization for another certification. Like I've done this, you know, kind of thing, because that's a real thing too, 100%. you know, and sometimes you feel ripped off. Sometimes you feel like you made a six or seven or 800 or $1,500 or whatever thousand dollar mistake. And sometimes you feel like, eh, it was okay. I don't know. I was a little overpriced or whatever. It was a little overrated and overpriced, but I got some stuff out of it. And sometimes you just go, that sucked. Um, and, and in, in this case, like the, it's very competitively priced. So I'll, I'll just, I'll just put it out there and you, you'll have to check this out. But my, the, the bigger piece of this is, is no matter where you are in your journey, you know, as a coach, I really feel like you could get value from this. I mean, from the beginner, because I think it get, just pay attention to the framework. The, all the detail mm-hmm. in there, I know it'll be a, it'll be really overwhelming for you, but you don't need to worry about that yet anyway until you understand the framework of how to take th- somebody through this progressive um, approach to getting them through a program and exercise a session a day. And that's kind of how this is put together. And then again, you have all the tools within there that you can go back and kind of put together. And that comes with experience and application. Like you'll, you'll learn that along the way, but the person on the, on the other end of the journey, or maybe he's way further down the way, way further down the line here. What you're going to see is again, the framework is going to be like, if you, if you're worth your weight and salt as a coach, you're going to look at this and go, yep, that's smart. I get it. This validates that, you know, they're teaching the same types of things that I'm doing. But what I learned was at this particular point, at this, in this particular part of the framework and how it might apply to my specific client or my problem set or my specific client population that I work with very, very specifically, this could be very helpful. Mm-hmm. A- and you're, yeah. and you're going to be in a, in a, in a room with, with folks that you can start bouncing that stuff off of and including the coaches or the instructors that are there because they nerd, they nerd out on this stuff. That's the best part. Like we're, we're sitting in a, we're peppering you guys with questions and, and things like that. So again, I just, that's the thing that I think is uh, really important for people to understand that I wanted to say about PPSC is that no matter where you are in your journey, this is a valuable, I think this is a valuable thing. And you, sh- and I think when you walk away, if, if you're that more advanced person, you would have no problem like recommending this to the new coach that's in your gym or in your, in your office, or if you're a business owner and you were looking for a, for a company to partner with, and there are a lot of them out there, and I've had to, I've been forced to because I've worked for other people, partner with some of these other companies. This is a company that is worthwhile partnering with. Uh, so uh, for you know the, the progression of your business and making sure your coaches have a, have a solid foundation, they're using similar discourse, but they're not robots. Yeah. 
they're not working down this checklist of like, this is how I train every client mm-hmm. and, and so forth. It, it, it makes for us, it develops a very smart coach. So yep. that's my yep. plug for PPSC. Um, I, I'm not paid by PPSC. You guys, I'm not paid for you guys to be here this weekend. And for the record, all of our coaches already been through it. So I'm, we've just offered up our space for free because we believe in it that much. It's not like I'm getting a kickback or my coaches are in here taking it this weekend. We've all been through it. Yeah. Uh, that's how much I believe in it. It's I've invested. Been- yeah. yeah, and I am paid by PPSC, so yeah, <laughs> I also really like want, it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's been, I've been teaching this course for like a year and a half, and I mentioned this to you in the car. It's like, I haven't had someone come up, or even, I haven't, they wouldn't come up probably, but it's like, I haven't had someone appear disappointed or like disinterested during the weekend. Um, and yeah, I've had people who, they took PPSC two weeks before they sat for their ACE certification and weren't even working with clients yet. And I've had people who have owned gyms for 30 years, yep. people who owned uh, martial arts studios who took the course, people who owned chiropractic practices and like kind of everyone in between. And you're right. I think to be completely honest, the people with 20 years experience get more out of it. Yeah. I, I, again, that was my experience. Yeah. yeah that, that was, that was, they know more. what they don't know. They don't have that illusion that I'm the new trainer and all I've ever been exposed to is whatever organization mm-hmm. has that I got their letters after my name. Um, and a lot of this stuff maybe goes over their head, even though we try and keep it really simple and systematic. It's the people who have been training clients of all different shapes and sizes for 20 years. And they get the, again, like the systematic approach or just a little tweak. Mm-hmm. You're like, I've been doing this exercise this way forever. And you guys did it a little different and it's better. Yeah. I, there's. There's, um, that is a, is a huge, was a huge takeaway. I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's basically what I was saying. Uh, and, uh, 5%, if you level up 2% per year, amazing. That's huge. It's and just like, industry, just like in your fitness journey. In an like, industry where we yeah. talk about this PT, but personal trainers burn out because they can't make enough money faster than PTs right. burn out because they can't make enough money. You just don't have the debt that I have. But in an industry where there's an 80% plus turnover rate, it only takes a couple continuing education courses for you to be a top 5% fitness professional in this country. Right. Right. And once you realize that and you're like, interesting, I'm definitely not charging like I'm a top 5%. Yeah, that's a and then other, you're like, you that's put a together podcast. <laughs> an 18 month game plan where like in 18 months, my rates are going to be this. And you're like, all of a sudden I'm seeing a third less patients making or clients making twice as much money because I implemented these systems. And I, every time someone comes in, I get put them through the same intake and I know what I'm looking for and I, and they feel my confidence and I know how to program. I'm efficient. Mm-hmm. It's like your whole world as a coach just opens up like opportunities. Well, that's the last massive. thing. I, that's the last thing I want to say as we're kind of wrapping up here. And that is like my experience with other companies has been, is this one's been much different in that, all of the instructors and co- first off, we asked you guys to come here for the record. Uh, we reached out to uh, PPSC and said, we would like to have you here. Um, and there's been a, a relationship ever since. Number two, when we did that, we started to form some pretty close relationships with few people within the, within the, the circle. And we stay in touch with all those people. You 
I met even before you were with PPSC. And when you got with PPSC, I was like, well, this makes perfect fucking sense. Yeah. Right. This is the, the, the perfect kind of guy, you know, for, for this company. So I wasn't surprised at all. And I've been able to maintain those relationships. I cannot say that about any other education, personal training education company. Now, specific to like the, I'm going to say this, like the personal trainer certification. Mm-hmm. There are tons of coaches that have and work. Uh, own companies and provide specific education on specific things that we are very, very tight with. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying like when you start to stack them up, stack you guys up against what would be considered the other industry, I'll say this, what the industry has decided is the standard. Mm -hmm. Not, I don't, when I say the industry, I mean somewhere somebody waved a wand at a couple of people that said, these guys are worthy and, you know, these guys aren't some, maybe, maybe it was the big you boxes. Need their you need their letters behind oh, your name oh, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, for those people that have been in this long enough, you know what I'm talking about. If you start to look at that, like I don't have relations with those people. I just don't because, and I think it's this reason because I can't connect with them. Why? Because 98% of them actually never did the job. They were, and what I mean that it's not that they ever didn't coach or they weren't a physical therapist or whatever on the floor, but they were actually never successful at it long enough to say that they've actually done the job. Mm-hmm. And all the instructors that I've met that have come through the PPSC, this is not their only job, right? They do this because they're passionate about it and they're obviously being compensated to do it, but it's because they're with a group of people that actually do the job and have been successful doing it. You, you are a business owner mm-hmm. uh, and you are a professional coach that actually makes money, puts food on the table, doing the job. And if I'm a, if I'm a trainer and an, up, uh, an aspiring trainer, that's the kind of person I want to be in front of. Not somebody with a degree in education in a particular like exercise physiology or whatever it is that's telling me how to do the job. Um, that stretches into some of the other genres of stuff we talk about here too. I think that's really important. So if you're a new, if you're, if, if you're, if you're a trainer that's out there looking, I want to be, I want to be listening to the coaches that actually do it. Not the people, not, not, this is not theory. This is what's happening. And the last part I'll say about that is, is the relationships that I've built, you can reach out to these people. There's ongoing support that you guys provide outside of like, you have to take, oh, we provide plenty of support. It's this other course that costs, an, costs another $600 that helps you renew your certification with us, you know? And mm-hmm. so you, you know, no, not like that. Like, hey, you need help with this this part, specific part of, of coaching clients. We have that, you have this part of, of developing your business. We have this part and you can, you can have that mentorship through, through you guys, which is different than, than many, many other places. So uh, that's my pitch for PPSC. And as, as far as, uh, as, as far as Mr. Skolink here goes, um, you know, obviously I'm a huge fan. And, uh, so if you're in the, in, in the personal training game and you want to find out a little bit more about you and, uh, and, or David and, and, and what he's doing out there, who he's working with and how to get a little bit more of that in your life, or maybe to work directly with him, where do they go, dude? How do they find out about you? I'm I just on Instagram way too much. I get the screen time reports on my phone and I'm always like, it's what? It's gross, right? It's so depressing. <laughs> it's down 12% yeah. at five hours a day. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. Uh, I thought I was working with my patients. That's, that's being a business uh, <laughs> owner in this world these days, man. No, it's, yeah, it's Instagram's, Instagram's the best place. It's um, at Dr. David Skolnick, DPT. So yeah. that's where I'm too many hours of the day. Yeah. And then PPSC on Instagram is pain-free training. Um, we do have tons of courses. We're hosting a kettlebell course here, here in February, February, mm, February is, 2024. If you want to, so one thing I'll say is I do get people in classes saying like, 
what else should I take? Right? Like what other courses should I take? And to me, it is what will your clients benefit from Mm -hmm. and pay you to coach them on and kettlebells in particular. I think people love Mm -hmm. like people love it. Trainers obviously love it. It's like the golf of the fitness industry. In my opinion, you could swing a kettlebell till the day before you croak. Mm -hmm. Like you just, maybe it's a little lighter (laughs) and slower, right? You can, you can train kettlebells forever. Um, so yeah, I, I think, um, we do a ton of stuff. I, I appreciate like everything you've had to say. I do think we do a fantastic job of providing tons of free resources, whether it's online communities, um, like blogs and articles, we send out free programs. All of our coaches basically sent programs in. So our clients are the people who take the course the f- next week, they get a link to a, like, it's called the mighty networks and they can literally just download John Russin's functional hypertrophy training plan and use it with their clients. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, you bought the course, like you get access to all of our instructors. Yep. You get access to every other coach who ever took this, who's willing to participate. Um, it's, yeah, it's an it's immense amount of value. Unique. Yeah. It's super unique. Yeah. In this particular space, it is very unique. I've seen it's, it's good to see somebody in the space adopting that type of uh, business model because we've seen it be so successful in others. And it's, it's, I think a lot of this has always been, well, we got to keep this so tight, tight to the chest and it's Give it away. It, exactly. And it's our information and we have to protect this and whatever else. That's silly. So, and you guys are starting to take the world by storm, which I really appreciate. So, uh, and, and respect it's fun to kind of watch happen to where it was maybe five years ago. Cause I remember exactly where it was. Um, to where it is now and, and seeing, you know, the team kind of evolve and, and the folks that are involved there. So dude, uh, that was a lot today. We good. We covered a lot. It's been a couple of years. Yeah. I appreciate you, uh, for taking time and, and, you know, your busy, busy schedule. I know, you know, when you're on the road, things are out of sorts. We probably should get some food in you. At some point, yeah, I got <laughs> I got some gains. I got, yeah, you like got, I said, I'm gonna wither we're gonna away lose those if gains don't, if you know. If I don't so you do that. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's always good to connect, man, and uh, and hopefully we can do this again at some point. Uh, I wish you the best of luck here with all the with all the folks that are coming to visit you and uh, and and uh, travels back to uh, back to Arizona and, and best wishes with the competition coming up and everything else, man. Thanks, Scott. Got it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button leaving a review and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.